Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist in London. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. So just to clarify, we are both still really, really worried about trade Armageddon. The tweets are still really stressing us out and I'm stocking up tin food. But in this episode, we're going to try and step back and think about the bigger picture and talk about one of the big areas of disagreement between the Chinese and the Americans. We're going to talk about China's economic strategy. So fundamentally, the Americans are objecting to the way that the Chinese have been trying to get rich. Okay, so I guess listeners should think of this episode not as the trade talks that they know and love, but as trade and investment talks. Because that's a really important area of dispute between China and America. So the first economic question is why a company in one country would actually go through all the trouble of making an investment in another country. So why does foreign direct investment actually happen? So let's start by thinking about two friendly countries that actually don't have any trade barriers between them. So why would a company from one want to invest in the other rather than just simply exporting? Okay, so the first reason might be that you would want to set up your production closer to consumers. Maybe you want to know about them, know how their tastes are changing. Maybe it's just expensive to get stuff to them, so take cars which are really heavy and expensive to ship. Or maybe you want to open up a factory in a different country because there's cheap labour there, or easy access to raw materials. So when an American company is investing in China, It's either trying to serve its massive market, 1.3 billion consumers, or maybe it's trying to take advantage of cheaper inputs there, including labor. But there are going to be trade-offs. It's expensive for a company to build a whole second factory from scratch. So if you produce everything in one plant, you get to take advantage of what economists call economies of scale. You get to spread out the fixed costs of that single plant over lots and lots and lots of output. If you build a second plant, so one plant to sell to Americans, a second plant to sell to the Chinese, you're going to decrease those economies of scale and those sorts of benefits. Okay, so that's two friendly countries. But in the real world, countries are not so friendly. There are trade barriers. That's right. And these kinds of barriers can actually act as more incentives to invest in foreign countries. So if there are tariffs or non-tariff barriers out there, then it may make sense for a company to try to jump over that tariff and set up production in the local country. And we've had examples of this in the past. So in the 1980s, the Americans were whacking on trade restrictions on Japanese cars and the Japanese car companies responded by saying, cool, we'll just invest in factories to employ a ton of Americans. So there's estimates from the Center for Automotive Research that suggest that these Japanese companies represent about a third of US auto production employment. So thinking about China, China has a 25% tariff on incoming cars. And hey, what do you know, GM has been investing there for years. More generally, perhaps if you're a company and you're facing a government that is prone to just blocking imports at the border, say, you know, food is unsafe, then maybe you just decide to skip the stress and locate all of your production in the country. So that's why a company would want to invest, but there's still the question of of how they actually make that investment. So they can show up and build a factory of their own, or like GM did in China, they can go into business with a local company. 
So going into business with a local company can make good business sense. So you can take advantage of their local know-how in dealing with consumers or dealing with regulations. You know, so maybe you need a service, but you don't know everything in advance about what that might mean. And so it's just simpler to say, fine, we'll go into business together. And then we don't have to worry about this super complex contract that would have to take into account every eventual circumstance. And then also you might go into business because you're just trying to get into the market. Maybe they've got a local monopoly and you want to get in some of that action. Maybe they've got contracts with suppliers that are exclusive that you want to break into. That's how the investing company might think about things. But how about this from the perspective of the host country? So why would a developing country actually want the foreign direct investment? What's driving their demand for it in the first place? Yeah, so this isn't that complicated. Basically, they want to get rich. So the companies that engage in this foreign direct investment tend to be headquartered in rich countries with cutting edge technology. If you can't access the world's best technology, then you're not going to be as productive or as rich as you could be. This technology drives productivity growth. Poorer countries want it. And when one company invests in a foreign country, the idea is that there are wider economic benefits for the sector as a whole when that happens. So the foreign firm knows, you know, the latest and greatest way of making something and that knowledge sort of spills through into the local economy so everyone benefits. So these spillovers can happen in a number of different ways. So first let's think about the workers or the employees. So you've got friends that work at a company that's sort of like yours. You go out and get coffee, you talk about what you've learned at your job, and some of what you learned spills over to your friends, and they bring it back to their job. Or sometimes people leave their jobs, so they go take a job at a different company, and they bring some of that knowledge with them. My favorite story about spillovers was told to me by a friend of mine when I was working at the World Bank. She'd worked on a project in Bangladesh involving the garment industry. And what she said is she went out and surveyed a bunch of companies and take, for example, pants. And these pant companies, they needed zippers to be able to put into their pants. Well, they went and found some local Bangladeshi companies to be able to make those zippers. But then once the local Bangladeshi companies had learned how to make great zippers, they supplied them not only to that pants companies, but to other pants companies, companies that made jackets, shirts. And the knowledge that they learned about how to make great zippers spilled over to lots of other areas of the garment sector as well. So obviously there are some more general benefits of foreign companies entering into a different country. So, you know, they represent more competition that might force domestic companies to shape up. And those general benefits mean that pinning down just what is causing what is really difficult. Okay, but that's enough theory. Let's talk about China's policies more directly. So put simply, China wants to get richer and they've got a bunch of different policies to try to encourage this kind of investment from foreign companies. And more importantly, they're trying to maximize these magical technological spillovers that generate all this productivity growth and wealth and jobs and all the nice things. Economic development, right. In China, in some sectors, take cars, it's simply that the tariffs are high enough to tilt the balance in favor of setting up a foreign production facility instead of exporting. In other sectors, it's the non-tariff barriers that encourage companies to locate in China. So China has policies on cybersecurity, it has laws on data localization, and Microsoft and Amazon have invested in massive data centers to offer cloud computing services to the Chinese market. It would be very difficult for them to do that from overseas. 
Okay, but just returning to the Trump administration for a second. Now, President Donald Trump is not a public fan of American companies investing overseas and creating Chinese jobs rather than American jobs. So it seems that there's kind of an inconsistency here because effectively the Americans are complaining that it's not easy enough for American companies to invest in China. And I think in general one should focus on the second case, this this claim that China isn't playing by the rules, the way that it's encouraging investment or the way that they're trying to maximize these spillovers is unfair. Because that's the sort of more intellectually coherent complaint against China's practices. That's the one that predates the Trump administration and that's the one that is likeliest to cause long-lasting frictions between the two countries. So let's talk about some of those disagreements. In some industries, the Chinese government says that foreign companies can't actually invest all by themselves. The Chinese have a catalogue guiding foreign investment with a list of 35 restricted industries. So that includes things like telecommunications, banking, car making. And in those industries, foreign companies have to go into joint ventures with Chinese companies. That investment from General Motors, well, that was a joint venture. Amazon and Microsoft, they're each operating with partner Chinese companies. And the list is pretty broad. It covers crops and the production of seed, making commercial aircraft, so Boeing, medical institutions, which presumably includes pharmaceuticals. Though this list of 35 industries actually used to be a lot longer. Okay, so these investment restrictions create problems. So when the foreign company is trying to enter China and access the huge Chinese market, it also has to negotiate terms with its Chinese partner. And from that company's perspective and also from the Chinese authorities' perspective, they want a deal that will maximize the amount of technology transferred to that Chinese partner. Before China joined the World Trade Organization, often that kind of technology transfer was an explicit condition of the foreign company being allowed in. And that technology transfer is what generates the spillovers. And the Americans just didn't like that. So when it joined the WTO, China agreed to stop forcing companies to transfer their technology as part of these joint ventures. And here's the problem, because the Americans say that they never really stopped. So in the Section 301 report, this long report that I had the joy of reading, uh, they say that American companies are being forced to hand over their technology as a condition of entering China. And that's essentially breaking a promise that they signed up to. And they're saying that this happens through a number of different ways. So it could be because of pressure from local government officials, or it may be secret communication from companies that the state has simply requested it. Just to give you some more context here, the foreign company is operating in a really opaque regulatory environment. They, they might not speak Chinese. The Chinese partner is the one liaising with the authorities. The authorities are the ones who actually have to ultimately approve the deal. It's a recipe for the foreign company getting their technology squeezed out of them. And part of the problem is that these foreign companies are also afraid of speaking out when they do run into problems. Remember, they really, really want to access that 1.3 billion person Chinese market. And the Chinese authorities can always threaten to block their investment. In many cases, the line between the private sector and the public sector in China is really hazy. And the foreign companies, they know that. So the Section 301 report has this anecdote of an American executive going to a Chinese minister and threatening to bring a case to the World Trade Organization about the Chinese dumping practices. And the minister simply saying, if you do that, you're going to lose access to the Chinese market. 
So these are all the ways that the US is accusing the Chinese of applying this verbal pressure to undermine a written rule. The US-China Business Council's most recent member survey found 19% of their companies had been asked to transfer their technology to China. And of this, more than half of the requests had come from some sort of Chinese government entity. So there's a very interesting submission in the Section 301 report by my Peterson Institute colleague, Lee Brandstetter, who says that in China, voluntary technology transfer takes place, but one that is only voluntary in the sense that the business transactions engaged in by the fictional gangster of the Godfather series, Vito Corleone, were voluntary. I'm going to make him an offer again with you. The Section 301 report claims that these companies would rather not go into these joint ventures. They're afraid of losing their technology. It says that often the employees of the joint venture come from the partner company's existing operations, increasing the likelihood that technology and know-how will leak. They're objecting to precisely the kind of spillovers that China wants, people sharing the ideas. And there are lots of examples of American companies that have been really unhappy with how they're being treated by their joint venture partners. Some of them, including in the chemicals and pharmaceutical and auto industries, have actually sued their partners in Chinese courts, claiming that they had their trade secrets stolen. Now, claims of stolen trade secrets happen in U.S. courts all the time. So it's not as if this is limited to China. But the main difference here is that USTR is claiming that without this policy, the American companies might not have felt forced to form the joint venture in the first place. And maybe without that Chinese government pressure, the Chinese joint venture partner might not have felt forced to actually steal the technology. Joint ventures aren't the only way that the American authorities are complaining that American technology is getting stolen. They complain about regulatory policies. The Chinese authorities can sometimes, in the process of granting regulatory approval, they can sometimes require the investing company to hand over their technology, just to, just to check it, mind. Or they can subject the investing company to expert panels that scrutinize the technology. And sometimes uh, the report says that they can include people with a competitive interest in the information. So it talks about environmental impact panels that include competitors or scholars affiliated with competitors. So the big question in all of this is, should we be worried about it? So in theory, it could work, but not without some cost. So it may be that there are some American companies that are refusing to do business in China because of the worry about losing their technology. So here's Wolfgang Keller at the University of Colorado and how he thinks this actually has worked out in China. From China's point of view, on the one hand, it's clear that the policy of requiring a local joint venture partner reduced the amount of foreign investment going into China in the first place. That's because firms from advanced countries will think twice about investing there if they believe this means they cannot protect the technology. At the same time, for whatever foreign investment they did attract with this joint venture policy, there was a lot of technology transfer. So the net effect was probably that China received a lower level of foreign investment, but given that, they learned somewhat faster about best practice international technology. Wolfgang also just had a paper out looking at the economic outcomes associated with these joint ventures. So he, along with Kun Yang, Larry Kiu, and William Ridley, looked at data on joint ventures in China between 1998 and 2007, and they found evidence of this technology transfer with these positive spillovers enjoyed by Chinese firms in the same industries. They find that these externalities, as they measure them, for joint ventures are perhaps twice the size of wholly owned foreign direct investment spillovers. So a joint venture is maybe twice as good as a company going in on its own. 
And the positive external effects are bigger if the foreign investor is American compared to if it's Japanese or from Hong Kong, Macau or Taiwan. While it might work for China, the fact remains the Americans really, really hate it. They say it's unfair and it breaks the rules. And if China doesn't shape up with President Trump, it looks like it might be tariff time. So this is all to say that if we do get tariffs, then this is one of the big disagreements between the two sides. The Chinese have got an industrial policy that tries to suck in investment and ideas. The Americans, they don't like that. They say that China's trying to do that in unfair ways. This isn't something that Donald Trump made up in a tweet. It's real. And there would have been disagreement even with a different president, although maybe there wouldn't have been tariffs. And that's all for Trade Talks. So thanks to Kristen Dizik at the Center for Automotive Research for sharing their employment data. And for sharing their research, thanks to Wolfgang Keller and William Ridley at the University of Colorado, Kun Yang at University of Nottingham, and Larry Q at the University of Hong Kong. As usual, tell your friends, your colleagues, anyone who consumes any consumer products and therefore might be affected by tariffs, tell them all that they should listen to Trade Talks. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bowne. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to foreign direct investment, going into a country by yourself isn't enough. You need a joint venture partner too. Fine. I just I'll came, give you that. I just came up with that one all by myself. It's okay. <laughs>